Today I speak to Victorian dairy farmer Stuart Crothswaite about the delicate situation of sharing a farm with family. He talks about how the right succession planning strategy has given him freedom to invest and grow the farm while at the same time looking after his parents. Let's start with how Stuart first got his head around succession planning. As property prices skyrocket, creating significant barriers to dynamic young farmers entering the market, and ageing farmers look for ways to continue living on productive, regeneratively managed land. On this season of Farming Together, our host Amanda Scott explores the ins and outs of a collaborative and creative solution that's quickly gaining momentum. Share farming on this season of Farming Together. The guy who helped us with our succession planning, he was a succession planning expert, I suppose. He said to us from the start, you just got to get up in the helicopter and, and get the big picture sorted out and then everything will take care of itself. And I think whether it's a share farm arrangement or a succession planning activity or whatever, if you can get away from mucking around in the nitty-gritty and get the big picture sorted, as he quite rightly said, um, everything seems to take care of itself. And I think in my case, and I think mum and dad would agree, we now sort of kind of separated and they, they can live their own life. They're free to do what they like. They can be involved in the farm if they like, travel whenever they like, and Sarah and I can invest in the farm as we like. And, and I just want to say from the outset that what we did, and we'll, we'll talk about it in a bit more detail, but it's allowed this particular patch of land to triple its milk production and, you know, it's fostered a lot of investment and a lot of growth, a really good outcome for agriculture. And I, I think it's part of the reason why you're probably talking to me today is that there's opportunities out there right around the country to unleash that potential as well. Absolutely. And I think in all different kinds of agriculture as well and at all different scales, yeah. we're also yeah. seeing there's opportunity. So Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's great to have you on the show and um, it's, it's lovely to get back in touch because I think we first met in 2017 um, in Farming Together first kicked off and, and you were setting up the dairy co-op. Mountain Milk's gone from strength to strength since then, which is really exciting. Yeah. Fam recently famous on your documentary <laughs> series that's just come yeah. out on the ABC. So congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's been been a long journey it's a lot of a lot of hard work um you know bringing people together and building something outside your farm but it was uh, it's kind of been refreshing to get a few pats on the back and gives you a bit of motivation to keep going so yeah yeah it's good today i'm going to take us all back a little bit earlier before mountain milk co-op and I read that you actually had no intention of ever becoming a fifth generation dairy farmer no, <laughs> no. What no. happened? I, uh, well, I, I grew up as a kid, um, not really, I, did, I didn't really enjoy the farm, I suppose. And I don't, I, I think at the time, you know, it was probably reasonably tough going in the dairy industry back in the, it would have been in the 1980s. I don't know. I, I just had ambitions to, to be anything but a farmer. And I'm not sure why that was, but 
I just grew up thinking the last thing I want to do is be, be a dairy farmer. I think at the time, you know, mum and dad must have had a bit of debt and the dairy industry must have been sort of struggling along a little bit and it, maybe it wasn't that that profitable. Um, but I, I was a bit too young to really appreciate all that. And I certainly didn't appreciate the beautiful part of the world that we live. So, yeah, I took off to Melbourne Uni and I had ambitions of um, being an engineer. To be good at engineering, you've got to be good at physics and maths. I was okay at maths, but physics I struggled a little bit. And halfway through that, I had a very quick reassessment of what I wanted to do in life. Um, I'd failed physics and uh, I had some mates doing ag science. So I dropped physics and then moved into an ag science degree and um, ended up completing that at Melbourne Uni. Still had no ambition of ever being a farmer Didn't and really didn't think too much about um, what I wanted to do in agriculture. And I came home and a guy I played cricket with ran a, a farm merchandise store. I went and worked for him for a year. I hated that. One thing led to another and I ended up studying in New Zealand, went on a scholarship via the dairy industry to New Zealand and studied at Massey University. And um, that was probably the turning point, I think. Um, I was doing budgets and analysing dairy farm businesses, our studies at, at Massey, and I was all of a sudden linking the farm performance, the physical farm performance with the financials, and we were out on a farm every week, and it was really applied learning. And then halfway through that, I was invited to a job interview with Murray Goulburn. So I worked for four years as a farm consultant or field officer with Murray Goulburn down in Western Victoria in South Australia. And on top of what I got in New Zealand, that was a great experience of working with some of the, well, the best farmers in the country, but, but also some of the bad, the, you know, the bad ones, or the not, not so performing ones. And um, really opened my eyes to the broad range of farms in the dairy industry. And, and it also said to me that it doesn't matter what industry you're in, and I know we're focusing on agriculture today, but whether you're an iron ore miner, a, a, a doctor in Melbourne or a consultant, a teacher, whatever you are, all you need to do is find the recipe to be sort of operating in that top 5 to 10%, 20% maybe, and there will be profitability everywhere. So um, I think my background of New Zealand and then seeing all these farms in pretty good detail it sort of opened my eyes to the opportunities here back home in the beautiful northeast of victoria and um all of a sudden i was looking at the at the home farm in a whole different light to what i'd grown up looking at it in and and i thought wow there's there's a real opportunity here so yeah I, that's when i came home to the farm what an amazing experience to be exposed to a whole range of different dairy farmers and practices and seeing the outcomes of those in terms of profitability. Yeah. Um, what an amazing opportunity and experience to see that and to be able to come away with, as you say, maybe this own idea of formulating your recipe for transforming the farm. Yeah, it, it, it really was. And I think I've probably been really lucky to have that background and since being home on the farm, I've, I've got involved in the, the local dairy industry and, you know, now with the Mountain Milk Co-op and really just want to help other farmers who haven't had that exposure like I have to appreciate what the opportunity could be. 
mm. you know, because it, 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 again, it doesn't have to be, and I'm sure you're not going to have all dairy farmers looking at this interview, but whether you're a sheep farmer, cropping, cattle, whatever, cotton, you know, there's going to be opportunities in all those industries. You're, you're spot on, Stuart, in that when we share these stories and, and that's, that's primarily what, what we do at Farming Together is, is share the stories to farmers from other farmers. It's the idea that it might not translate directly in industry, but it might inspire in terms of the concept or the optimism that's there and the opportunity to, to, to hear those stories and then formulate something that's going to work for you, your community, and build on yeah. that. So, yeah, um, absolutely. So you, you came back to the home farm and said, Mum, Dad, I do want to be a dairy farmer. Is that how it went? <laughs> uh, initially I came home just working on a wage with dad um, just getting a feel for it because I, I, I was probably more a scientist than a hands-on practical farmer I didn't I don't think I'd had a lot of hands-on experience growing up as a kid I'd milked a few cows and helped out you know with their with little bits and pieces but yeah coming home to the farm I was really I suppose just testing the water a bit to see if I liked it or not and it was hard work, you know, our, our dairy was, some of the walls in it were over 100 years old and so some of the infrastructure was needing an upgrade. But, you know, Dad in his own right had been quite an innovator in his time and, you know, he went to Marcus Oldham and, and was the first, one of the first farms in the region to irrigate and laser level the farm and, you know, had one of the bigger dairies as well. So, you know, this was an opportunity to, hand over to the next generation or, you know, pro progress to that. So in those early couple of years, I was just really testing the water to see whether I liked it or not. And I spent two years doing that and we got to a point where I thought, yep, I want to have a crack at this. There's so much opportunity here. Here in the northeast, we have great soils, reliable rainfall, good access to water. There's a healthy population in Aubrey-Wodonga, so it's easy to get staff. So a lot of the key ingredients to running a, a farming business is really strong here. So, yeah, then we got to the end of the, I think it was two years, and it was a reasonably tough time because I think it was 2003 I came home to the farm, and that first year was a really bad drought, and then we had a couple of good years, and then we raised the, the notion of, you know, just sort of being in control a little bit more of the production side of it. And at that point we weren't, interested at all in owning anything we didn't want to own any land or assets or anything we just wanted to be able to influence the production side of it and and it was it was a little bit difficult you know trying to navigate that when you know we didn't have any capital to bring to the equation and yeah we decided to have a bit of a break and we went to Bega and got back into that consulting sort of role and while we were away we thought you know geez we're we really do miss that. We'd like to be back at the farm. And so we had discussions with mum and dad about whether we could come back and lease the farm, still not own anything. Because I've got a younger brother and younger sister. So that, you know, that we needed to think about those, those people. And um, we, had, we just negotiated a really simple lease arrangement. And so we came home to the farm. We took over the sort of the production side of things. Because I had, I was like a bull at a gate. I wanted to change the world. I wanted to get the pastures going, get the cows going, get the production flying. I was really keen to, to get into it. So that lease arrangement was really fundamental in giving us a little bit of ownership about the day-to-day -day spending and investing and 
and growing the production side of it. So what did that arrangement look like? Because I always hear a lot of questions about, well, how do you actually set up this kind of leasing arrangement? What does it include? What does it not? How do you make sure both parties are, you know, creating value from this arrangement? Um, can you talk a bit about it? In the early days, it was pretty basic from memory. It was really just a, a lease arrangement. It's probably, I mean, it, it catered for mum and dad in terms of, you know, a rental and, and, a, and a wage, I suppose, or a source of income for them. But it also gave us a bit of freedom to spend the income on whatever cost categories we wanted to. So I know I'm not being very clear, but that, that's, that's effectively what it was. It was really just, right, Stuart and Sarah, you, can, you, you run the farm and you need to pay this amount to, to cover your parents. And that was pretty much it. Okay. And so they basically stepped back from, from running the farm. Um, yeah, sort of. I mean, Dad still involved today, but at that point, no, he was still helping with the milking, helping helping with most of the farm management. And there were probably our first year home was the two thousand and six drought um, when we started that lease arrangement, and so that was a really tough year to get going. Yeah, uh, look, it was it was pretty basic to start off with. And how did your parents feel about? Um, yeah, it was it was a bit tough. I think Dad had just received the farm from his father, and and here I was trying to have a little bit more control over the day to day operations when he'd been toiling away with his father for quite a few years. So, yeah, it was it was reasonably tricky, I think, from his point of view to to let go of that control, and he'd been doing it for quite a few years, right? So, I mean, I think most family farms have a very similar sort of power struggle, if you want to call it that. I spent those couple of years up in Bega helping farms up there with exactly the same issues. So, and it made me aware that, you know, a lot of the people in the industry, in the dairy industry, but agriculture in general are dealing with the same things. You know, there's a lot of farms out there that maybe can lift production more to the point, are underperforming. So they need to have some sort of production advice. Then there's farms that already have a succession plan organised but um, might need some solicitor or accountant to help them work through the finer details of that. And then there's other farms, I think, that probably need a mediator to sort out their their family things. So uh, I think we were, in our case, we were a a combination of probably all of them. But, I mean, we we, we get on really well. It's, It's all good. Emotion is, it's really important, I guess, to consider how all of the parties are feeling during this transition time. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that's right. I I think it's trying to know when those emotions are overriding everything and putting a decent structure together that caters for everyone. And I think that whole process of going through the succession planning has really given us a sense of independence for each of us, um, not only for mum and dad, not only for Sarah and I, and my and my family but also for my brother and sister as well because you know it's taken care of of their interests as well and are they interested in in being on the farm no they're not interested in farming that they are very interested in knowing this is still home so they they take a keen interest in what we're doing and 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 coming back and visiting and i imagine they'd be quite proud of what their brother has um has helped develop and create. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I hope so. Yeah, lovely. Okay, so you've got through your first 
few years in this leasing arrangement through a pretty yeah. tough first year in particular. Yeah. Um, what happened after that? Yeah, we got to a point where we, we built the farm up. We built the, the cows up. So we'd lifted the cows from about five, five and a half thousand litres a cow to about seven, seven and a half thousand litres a cow per year. We'd also almost completely gone over the farm and renovated all the pastures and um, we'd replaced a few, bit of, few bits of machinery. I think we'd upgraded the irrigation pump and put power there and we'd, we'd invested in a lot of things that probably weren't our responsibility in a normal lease arrangement, but we'd built the production up based on a bit of investing out of, out of profitability and a lot of good management and lifting production. So we had this nice production base that we were then set to say, right, well, we want to invest now. We want to seriously invest in the infrastructure. And the key piece of infrastructure that needed to happen, in my view, was that we needed a dairy that could pump the cows out a little bit faster. Um, the 100-year-old walls weren't quite holding up. No. So, like, we'd, we'd lifted the cows a lot. So milking had drifted out to nearly four hours of milking. So we're doing eight hours a day just in the dairy. Whether you're producing milk, meat or wool, the underlying crop is pasture. So I didn't have enough time to get out and drive the pasture production. So we needed to make the farm more efficient and, and free up time. So a new dairy was the obvious thing, but I wasn't prepared to start investing at that sort of scale until we knew our futures were a little bit more secure. And that was sort of the impetus for starting down the succession planning path. We engaged with a, a guy a couple of hours away, Rob Brown from Pepin Planners. They had a really strong background in succession planning and because it's quite a complex beast. I think when I think back to my grandfather, his superannuation fund was the farm. And then you go to the next generation of mum and dad and they were a lot more invested in superannuation, off-farm investments. To cater for the sibling, my siblings, it became a little bit easier because there were off-farm assets that could, could look after them. It can be very, really complex. And I think the scale of, of the, the assets and the scale of the, you know, the investment that over the generations people, families have in their farms, it becomes really intimidating trying to deal with it and I was intimidated by it um, and I'm sure mum and dad were as well so having someone to help us navigate that in hindsight we probably spent 10 or 20 thousand dollars on the whole process but it's been a pretty small investment really for the size of the outcome that we've both been able to enjoy and it saved needing a mediator potentially down yeah, the track. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And and it's it's fostered some pretty good relationships with us now. We, you know, we can talk openly about the farm and how it's operating and, um, you know, they can have an investment, you know, a mental investment in it. And so, and yeah, so it's been, that, that was a bit of a cornerstone. And also taking care of my brother and sister and making sure they were looked after was really important as well. Well, I'm actually just interested in how a leasing arrangement transitions into a full-on succession plan. Yeah, so, so we still have a lease arrangement in place and that is probably the cornerstone of the, of the succession plan. So we have an overarching deed, a family, a family arrangement, so we're all signatories to it. 
So my brother and sister, my wife and I, and mum and dad, we're all signatories to it, to this family deed. And in that, it spells out what the lease arrangement is. So that, that lease arrangement is the vehicle for remunerating mum and dad for their investment in, this, in the whole business. And it's also a, a vehicle for us to, well, it's a vehicle to pay them, but we can use it as a tax deduction. They're in pension mode, so they can, they can use it as a tax deduction as well. So we've got a lease arrangement that is basically just the mechanism for paying them. Through that whole process, we've considered, you know, aged care, even circumstances if I got killed in a farming accident or something, or it's quite a robust sort of document. It's tried to think of all the different scenarios that could confront us all. But importantly, you know, it's considered what mum and dad need. It's considered what Stuart and Sarah need. It's considered what my brother and sister needs. And we've all had an opportunity to to scrutinise that, agree to it, sign off on it. And it's a great document for helping us move forward. And, and as I said at the start, you know, it's fueled a whole heap of investment in the farm. The farm has gone from sort of one and a half million litres of milk to this year we'll, we'll touch four million litres of milk. Impressive. Yeah. Wow. So we've invested, you know, lots of millions of dollars in the dairy and we're just about to build a, a feed pad. And so it's, it's been the impetus and the platform for supporting the growth. In family situations, you know, sometimes you can all be on the same path, want the same things, but not quite know how to get there. And other times you can have completely disparate views of what you want to do and not have any idea how to get there. But you've actually found through this process of being able to generate value that's way beyond just what your intention was for the property by finding a way to bring everyone together with that common goal and focus and plan and how to get there and making sure everyone is also getting what they need or want from the arrangement as well. That's right. I think, as I said before, it's, it's a really complex world that we now all operate in. You know, we've got pretty complex legal frameworks that we operate in, business structures, you know, superannuation is complex in its own right. So, and just the sheer scale of some of our family farms around the country now, uh, it's a really intimidating world to try and navigate. Some families probably do need a mediator, but I think you need to surround yourself with professionals that can help you navigate that, and it's well worth the investment. Yeah, I agree in terms of just the different scenarios that we've seen through farming together over the years and, and the difference quality advice and support at the right time can make to an outcome. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and it can be the key, the key ingredients for having a really sound and happy family, you know, moving forward because there's nothing, there's more to life than not enjoying what you're doing and being happy about the outcome. So, yeah, I think if you're, if you're struggling with it, you know, you need to get motivated and, um, and you know, find a good person. We, we tried our accountants, we tried our solicitors and none of them worked because they weren't looking after both parties' interests. Mm. So you need someone who's able to navigate the outcome for both parties. That's um, great advice, yeah. Yeah, it, it's because I think sometimes the, the solicitors were looking after mum and dad's interests and the accountants because they're paying the bills, right? Yeah, that's and, their client. So Yeah, and you need someone who can help you navigate a good outcome for everyone. 
I'm interested if there's anything that you wish you knew before you'd started this journey. Myself and my mum and dad, we were getting sort of bogged down with the small stuff, the nitty gritty of a couple of thousand dollars for this, a couple of thousand dollars for that. And it was really insignificant in the whole scheme of things. And so it's amazing hindsight, but what I just said before, you need someone who's going to look after your interests for the younger generation and the older generation. And I probably didn't appreciate the scale of the opportunity that succession planning was about to provide us. I knew I needed to invest in the farm. I knew to grow it, we needed to run it like a business. We needed to be putting constant investment into it and to grow it and to improve it and make it more efficient. I didn't appreciate, I suppose, the framework that I needed to have to do that, to support that. I think mum and dad would look back and think this has been a good outcome for them too. You know, I don't know how many countries they've travelled to around the world in the last 10 or 15 years. So it's allowed them to have a great life. You know, they're playing golf two or three times a week and travelling when they can. And so living you know, the life. Really, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they've worked hard for it. You know, to the older generations that might be listening to this, you know, there's an opportunity for you to enjoy what you've created. That's beautiful. Not all families have kids that do want to take over the family farm. And do you think you can still create a succession plan with someone who is not a family member in the same way to create value for everybody? Yeah, absolutely. I Great question because I think this is, this is potentially part of the Achilles heel for agriculture and supporting the family farm. So, you know, I've got young kids, they're 13 and 15, um, and they're getting towards the business end of high school. And I think uh, one of them would leave school today and become a farmer, <laughs> which, is, which is fantastic for history's sake and just to know that there's potentially another generation to take the farm forward. But I've said to both of them, you know, you don't need to be the farmer. If you have ambitions of being a doctor or whatever other career you'd like, you know, you don't need to be here running the farm. I'd like to think what we've invested in and what we've built up, um, not only in my generation, but mum and dad's as well and the previous ones to that. There's a really good business here for you to, to own and to invest in yourself and you can run a, a, a successful career not being here. So just around me in the, in the district here, there's lots of farms, lots of family farms that are being leased. And some of the more profitable ones, the farmers don't own any land. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think it's, it's time that we all need to start thinking outside the square a little bit and looking and using our professionals like our accountants and our solicitors. And if you're not getting the answer that you want or you're not getting the answer that you think you know, your farm business needs, then find someone else. There's plenty of good people out there to give you advice. And don't settle for second best. You've got a good business. Foster a good outcome for it. It's exactly what we're seeing, which is a lot of older farmers almost don't know where to go or what to do because their kids aren't interested in taking over the farm, but they don't want to leave yeah. The, the farm and they don't want to lose that farm for their, their family members into the future. And so we are starting to see these new, well, they're not pretend, they're not really new, but just different types of arrangements that can support yeah. also those 
emerging farmers who haven't grown up in family farm families who can't afford to to access or own the land they can just need to find ways to access the land to be able to farm can i add two points to that Mm. i think i see a lot of farmers particularly in the dairy industry because that's what i'm really familiar with but they get to a certain age and they stop investing and then the farm starts to become unattractive for someone to come and lease it. I know it's easier said than done sometimes, but you know, if you're wanting someone to come and lease the farm and in most cases continuing the farm as a dairy operation is much more profitable than converting it to beef or, or sheep, although that could be challenged a little bit at the moment. <laughs> but don't get to a certain age and think, I've done my bit and I don't need to invest anymore. Someone else can do it. So if you if you want to lease the farm out, you know, you should have some decent facilities there for someone to come and run it. You've got a good business. Agriculture is strong. You need to be providing a good place for someone to come and lease, whether that's sheep, dairy or, or whatever. You've got to make it appealing to for someone to want to invest. Yeah. What have you learned that has surprised you the most about farming together? I think that the two points there are surround yourself with good people. Don't settle for second best. The opportunity that is in front of you, is it's about exposing the opportunity, I think. For me, I don't think mum and dad or myself really appreciated fully what the opportunity could, could have been with um, going through the whole succession planning. And so, yes, don't settle for second best. Find the right people to help you. You'll unearth an amazing opportunity. Fantastic. I love the optimism. And and you're so right. Like it is optimistic. You've just got to find the right people, the right frame of reference. There's a lot of family farms out there, but there's probably not enough family farm businesses. Hmm. You need to understand your cost of production. You need to understand your debt levels. You need to run it as a business and you need to be investing in it. And, you know, succession planning, is a great vehicle for untapping and unleashing that ability to invest. You know, the only thing that's changed on our family farm um, over that whole journey is that the younger generation has been given an opportunity and, hey, presto, you've got three times the milk production. And that's not about me. It's about, you know, mum and dad providing that opportunity for the next generation to come through, whether it was myself, my brother or my sister. That's the opportunity that's in front of a lot of family farms. Yeah, it's a difficult conversation. It really is. And I'm not watering that down or anything. It's, it's a really hard piece of work that we all put off because it's easier to go and fix the fence than to deal with family and succession planning. But give it a crack. You'll, you'll really enjoy it. For more tools and resources to help you work collaboratively, head to farmingtogether.com.au or join the conversation on the Farming Together Program's Facebook page. You're listening to the Farming Together Podcast.